Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word that you've laid on my heart. I thank you, Lord, that this is a word in season for your church, for your people today. Thank you, Lord God, that you minister to each one of us. Lord God, would you highlight the things that need to be highlighted in each one of our lives? Lord, would you reveal truth to us? Holy Spirit, manifest yourself amongst us today. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can encourage, you can smile, you can shout, you can run around a little bit if you want to, but we don't mind, okay? I've pressed the timer. So you know we've only got two hours left. No, I'm just kidding. But okay, you know what? Chris has just been recently been sharing a series, and it was um, walking with God and learning about God's ways. And during the time that he was sharing, gosh, it really ministered to me, but I really felt that God wants to share about his will for our lives. So, t- so today we're going to start in a new series, and it's God's will for your life. And um, there is a subtitle, but I'll get to that later. It doesn't really matter. But you know what? When I first got saved on the 15th of September, 1991, let me just throw something in here. This year I've been saved. Thank you, Lord, by the grace of God for 30 years this year. And I'm only 25, so I don't know how that works. But uh, anyway, but oh, praise God. But when I got saved, my first question to God was, what is your will for my life? And for years, I was like, but God, what do you, I went to the Bible and I thought, maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. But you know what? I know that God has created each and every one of us here on purpose, with a purpose, that we're not here by accident. Do you know what? Maybe you were a surprise to your mother and your father, but you're no surprise to God, okay? He has a plan and a purpose for you, and you're not just here to take up space. So I'm going to shoot off three scriptures, bang, 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 bang. You can write them down, and during the week, go and look them up. You should be able to, you will recognize them. The well-known scripture, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. That's God's plan for your life. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. God has prepared some stuff for us to walk in. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Fourth scripture. You didn't know this was going to be like Bible school this morning. It, it will get better, okay? But hey, I'm not apologizing for the Word of God, okay? I just love the Word. Ephesians 2.10, well-known scripture. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. And I love what Chris was sharing last week. Remember, one of the principles of God's word is that by two or three witnesses, 
Let every word be established. I've given four, so I think we've ticked that box, okay. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, but our job is to find out what that plan and that purpose is. What is that will? What, is, what are those things, which, those works, which God has prepared for us? So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible's quite clear. He says, the Apostle Paul says, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be unwise. In other words, don't be senseless. Don't be without intelligence. You know what? We've got a brain. God's given us a brain. Let's use it. And actually, we, I think a lot of things in the, in, in, in the, in the kingdom are also or spiritually, concerned, spiritually discerned. But a lot of it as well is in our heads too. He says, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we don't go through life Doris Day attitude, you know, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. You didn't know I was going to sing, eh? But we're not going to go through life like, oh, well, I don't know what your will is, so whatever will be, that will be. That's not, that's not God's purpose for our lives, okay? It's not the Doris Day the- theology. No, Romans chapter 12. This is going to be our found, one of our foundation scriptures. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed. That word transformed means met, is metamorphosis. That's where we get the word metamorphosis from. It's completely transformed, completely changed, that you may prove, that you may prove, that you may prove that that is true. What is that? good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that you can scrutinize that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I like what the Passion Translation, sometimes it's good to just go look up and see what other translations say. The Passion says, be inwardly transformed through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful, satisfying life, perfect in his eyes. I think that that describes it beautifully, doesn't it? God doesn't want us to live this mundane, boring, grey, nine-to-five life. That's not God's will for us. He has this beautiful, satisfying, and perfect will for each and every one of us. I think it's wonderful. The message, the message is another paraphrase. It says, don't become so well acquainted with your culture that you fit in without thinking. We're supposed to stand out. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture, you know. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. That's good. Pause. Selah. Let's think about that. Hey, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Actually, say that. God has a plan and a purpose for my life. 
It's good. So don't be transformed, no, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So because God has a perfect will for your life, it doesn't mean he has an imperfect will for your life. It's not, it's not just automatic. It's not that where we might miss a mark and then land up living this life of frustration and angst and misery. No, like it said in Ephesians 5, that we need to understand and know what the will of the Lord is, that he has this, this, this full life for us, not, not a one of uh, mundane, boring, gray nine to five. God's will takes into account our ignorance, our weaknesses. God's will for our lives takes all this into account, our weaknesses, our sin, and even the sin of others. And there's a, we'll go into this in a minute, but there's a difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will what God allows, in other words. There's his perfect will, and there's his permissive will. And God, God touched on this last week. No, Chris touched on this last week. <laughs> I mustn't get my people mixed up. But God is omniscient. One of, the, one of the characteristics of God is that he is omniscient. That means he knows all things. He knows everything about everything about your life and mine. He knows everything about everything. He knows what we're going to do in every single situation. He knows what's going to press push our buttons. He knows how we're going to respond to every circumstance. Just go read Psalm 139. He says that before a word is even formed on my tongue, you know it altogether. He knows the intents of our hearts. I, and sometimes that can be a little bit like, ooh, this is a bit off-putting when you know what's going on in your heart, isn't it? But you know what? He, he, he's not phased. God's not easily offended. He doesn't think, oh, can't believe you thought that, you know? Praise God, he doesn't think like that. But he knows how we are wired. And nobody knows you better than God. You know, sometimes when we go through life, um, we just recently had a situation and it was like, and I responded in a certain way, and Chris responded in a certain way, and I was surprised at myself with the way I responded. I thought, well, that took me by surprise that I responded like that. But God didn't, didn't take God by surprise. He knows how we're wired. He knows us best. He knows every sin. I was going to say past, present, and future, but I had to edit my notes. Because our past sin is forgotten. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. He's dealt with it at the cross of Jesus Christ. But he knows our current, our present sin, and he knows every future sin. He knows every event. He knows every hurt. He knows every agony, every pain, every tragedy, every victory, every triumph that you've celebrated in your life or not celebrated. He knows everything about every situation and he knew exactly how we would respond in every situation and his perfect will bears all this in mind knowing how we're wired knowing what how we're going to respond god doesn't cause all those things but he knows how we will respond to them and you know what god's not going to make you do something 
If you want to know what God's perfect will is, he's not going to cause you to do something that you absolutely hate kicking and screaming and have no desire to do. That's not the way God's will works. But there are places where we can grow, where God grows us, you know. Um, we, we went to Bible college in 90-something. And um, when we were in Bible college, they didn't teach us about preaching on YouTube because YouTube hadn't been invented. So we've had to grow. We've had to learn. It's like, oh, I don't like cameras. But anyway, but we've had to learn. And we've grown. And, and that's what God will do. He'll take you where you're at, and he'll grow you, and he'll develop you. So that scripture says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God takes into account our ignorance. And you know what? You're not responsible for what you don't know, but we are responsible for what we do know. Okay, so God says, love your neighbors, love your enemies. Oops, we know that one. We better do it. Okay, we're responsible for that one. Okay, just thought I'd throw that in. Um, but our weaknesses, our sin, and even the sin of others. And just in prep, I thought I could think of so many examples in the Bible where people's lives were impacted, A, by their own sin. Prime example, obviously, Moses. Moses um, was caught well, he wasn't caught, but Pharaoh found out that he had murdered an Egyptian. And as a result, Moses fled into the desert, married into some family, and he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert herding sheep. This, this man, I believe God had such a different... This is just my opinion, okay? You won't find this in the Bible. But I really believe that that wasn't God's best. He shouldn't have murdered that Egyptian, but God took it into account. He knew Moses was going to fall, but he took it into account. And, um, and so that's his own sin. And then we think other people's sin can affect our lives. Other people's sin can affect God's plan for our lives. Joseph, prime example, he was sold into slavery by his own brothers, um, was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual harassment, went to prison for about 10 to 12 years for a crime he didn't commit. As a result of somebody else's sin, he, his brothers, Potiphar's wife, and all the events that happened in Joseph's life, he, he, as a result of other people's sin, God's will was different. And I even thought of a, of a modern-day person, somebody that we might have heard of, and a few years ago, I met a man called Bill Wilson. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's, a, he's an American. Um, he's from New York. And um, he's got the world's largest Sunday school. He has ministered to literally millions of children. And the current size of his Sunday school is at least 200,000 every Sunday. And this guy, Bill Wilson, at the age of 12, his mother took him to a street corner in, in Brooklyn in one of the worst um, crime-infested, awful areas in, in Brooklyn. And his mother put him on the side of the street and said, just wait here, I'll be back. He waited there for three days. She never came back. This is a true story. I've met this man. And um, as a result, and so he was standing there for three days 
in this awful environment. And a Christian guy was on his way to go and visit somebody in hospital and he noticed him standing on the street, he noticed Bill standing on the street corner, picked him up and said, I know of a youth camp, I know of a youth camp. Took him to the youth camp, dropped him off, paid for him. This guy was orphaned at the age of 12, just like that. And he went to this youth camp, gave his heart to the Lord, and he, he's, he said these words, I don't know if I've written it down. He knows from his own personal experience that hopelessness and pain can only truly be met <clears throat> by the love of Christ. And that no matter your humble circumstances and beginnings, God still has a special plan for each and every life. That's his, that's his ethos, that's, his, that's what he believes in. And he went and he decided, never will I allow any child to be left like that, homeless, destitute, not knowing about the gospel. And he, he's got this ministry called Metro Ministries, where he is literally, and is worldwide now, but is mainly focused in Brooklyn, in New York, continues to this day. This guy's experienced gunshot wounds, knife wounds. He's got an incredible story. But this is the thing where, you know what, because like with Joseph in the Bible, after his, after his brothers had you know, got him into that pit and sold him into slavery, Genesis 50, famous scripture, you know, what, what the enemy intended for evil, God turned for good. Remember, Joseph became prime minister of Egypt. Look at Bill Wilson's life. He's got his PhD. This guy who was left at the side of the road at the age of 12, he's got his doctorate. He's written books. He's, he's ministered to millions and millions of kids and made an impact. So what the enemy intended for evil in his life, God has turned for good. And then we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at his pedigree. So in Philippians 3, now in, when Paul wrote Philippians, he was already born again. But he started talking about how um, he could have at one time had confidence in his own accomplishments, in his own accolades. And we see this in Philippians 3, verses 5 and 6. And the Apostle Paul says, that he was circumcised the eighth day. Well, I'm sorry, I'm, I've got to throw this one in, but he had, no, he had no say in the matter. He was eight days old, but he was almost boasting about this. Of the stock of Abraham, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul, he, he, was no, he was initially, he was Saul of Tarsus. And he was boasting about the fact that his name was Saul because the first king of Israel comes from the tribe of Benjamin, and his name was Saul. So he's almost like, well, my name's Saul too. Thousands of years have passed, but he's almost boasting, you know, having confidence in the flesh. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, there was no Gentile, there was no Greek, sorry, Byron, but there was no Greek in him. He was a Hebrew, he was a purebred Hebrew, Hebrew of the Hebrews. And concerning the law, a Pharisee. Oh, a religious guy, a religious guy hard, highly religious, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. This guy went and put Christians, brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters in the Lord from years back, he had them persecuted, thrown into prison, husbands and wives separated, separated from their kids, and he stood, he stood um, what, consenting to Stephen's death. 
Stephen the martyr, the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts. He stood there consenting. This is Paul, Saul of, Tars Saul of Tarsus. So he was a self-righteousness. He had his own self-righteousness. All of his accolades were based on his own self-righteousness, his own confidence in his own pedigree. But you know, you, you know the account hey, of, of Saul of Tarsus. I just love it. I heard, that's how I got saved, was hearing the account of Paul on his Damascus Road experience. I love that account because God took him and changed his life, transformed his life, and, and he became this fantastic person, this apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who had this revelation of Jesus Christ is risen, and oh, his, 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 his whole life is just such an awesome testimony of the, of the goodness of God. But in Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, But what things were gained to me, his pedigree, those previous verses, what those things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ, and I count them as rubbish. One translation says dog poo. Okay, you can edit that if you want to, John Morley, when you do this recording device. Or dung, you know, that's what it, that's what it is. I count these things as rubbish, as dung. These things were once valuable, but to me now, I consider them worthless compared to the infinite knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus. And then in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He says, not that I've already attained. Now, hang on a sec. Do you know what? Nine times in the Bible, at the beginning of a, script, at the beginning of a book, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I've got a whole list of them, but nine times the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. By the will of God. And when he wrote this book of Philippians, he was in his mid-60s. He'd been saved for 30 years. He'd been saved for 30 years. And he says, not that I have already attained. I've not arrived yet. He was two years short before he actually died, before he was, mart before he was, was martyred. He says, not that I have already attained. In other words, I haven't arrived at my goal. I've been saved for 30 years, and I haven't even, I've hardly scratched the surface. I love his humility. I love it. And um, you know what it is? It's the grace of God. It's earmarked with humility. The grace of God is earmarked with humility. But he goes on and he says, but I press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I press on. And that word, that, that press on, that actually, or, or, or that laying hold, that word, that laying hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me, it's similar to like a rugby tackle. I mean, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but that laying hold of something, is, it's, it's, it's something that's deliberate. It's something that's, it's not airy-fairy. You know, it's not like the case, sarah, sarah. Well, um, maybe this will happen, maybe that won't. 
to happen. No, I need to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus, he's laid hold of me. Jesus has turned our lives upside down, right way up. He's laid hold of us. And, and the Apostle Paul is saying, I need to lay hold of that for which he has laid hold of me. There is a purpose for your life, Christian. There's a purpose. God has a purpose. He's laid hold of your life. Have you laid hold of his life? Have you laid hold of him the way that he has laid hold of us? Remember Jacob. Remember when Jacob, he wrestled with God and he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go. I mean, we need to become passionate. I love what I saw about the kids at Momentum. Man, one of these days, we're going to be jumping, like, like Ros did the other day. We're going to be running around this building, and, and all heaven is going to break out amongst us older people. Come on, come on, but come on. This is, this, we're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Listen to what the passion says, that I run with passion into his abundance, so that I may reach the purpose for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. There's a passion in my heart to lay hold of the purposes of God, and I'm not going to let go. So, there's purpose in your salvation. There's purpose for your life. But he goes on. He says, um, where am I? I've lost my place. In verse 13, he says, this is the way we do it. Verse 13, he says, forgetting, I do not, um, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. But hang on, those are two things. I don't think he had a maths problem, okay? But what he's saying is that we can't do the one without the other. We cannot, um, we can't do part B. We cannot reach forward to those things which are ahead without forgetting what is behind. We have to let go of what is behind in order to reach forward. We can't go forward if we keep looking back. We can only look in one direction at a time. And in the same way, we can't forget those things which are behind without having a future and a hope. We've got to have something ahead of us. We've got to have that vision. We've got to have that purpose. We can't let go of the past until we've got something else to hold on to. You know what? And it sounds so simple. Like, how do you just forget the past? God doesn't just come along and sprinkle fairy dust over us. Sometimes I wish it was like that, but it's not. He doesn't just say, okay, forget the past, that's it. Get on with it. That's not the way it works. The way it happens is that we, we, we spoke about this on Sunday, in Sunday Night Local a few months ago, but from Hebrews 10 verse 9, that God takes away in order to establish God takes away in order to establish. In other words, he displaces and replaces. Um, and we'll go into this next week. That, but that's why it's so important about renewing the mind. We'll, we'll do this next week. We'll go into the importance of renewing the mind. It's not removing our minds, 
Okay? We cannot empty our minds, but we renew our minds. We've got to take thoughts captive. We've got to, that's how we let go of the past, by renewing the mind. So we've got to have a future hope. We can only go in one, look in one direction at a time. But in order, we've got to relinquish the one in order to grab a hold of another. You know, I can't keep my eyes on Jesus. I can't conform to his image by looking at my past, by looking at my failures, by looking at my weaknesses, even by looking at my own strengths. I cannot conform to the image of Jesus by doing that. I can't just let go of what's behind and sort of hope and wish that one day I'm going to morph into being more Christ-like. It's got to be intentional. We've got to be intentional about it. But in order to replace, we need to displace. We need to, God takes away in order to establish. So I've got to need to stop looking at my past and start looking at Jesus. So forget those things which are behind. All of it. All of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I can't sing that song, the Clint Eastwood movie. But we've got to forget the past. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So I want to just encourage you to forget two things. To forget two things. Forget your pedigree. Forget your accomplishments. Forget your accolades. Forget all, all the good stuff and all the not-so-good stuff. Philippians 3.2, Paul said, have no confidence in the flesh. It's not about being a, Christian, a professional Christian. Mm-hmm. It's not about ticking the box. Well, I went to church today. God must be pleased. I've read at least three verses. God, you see me, you know. It's not about being a professional Christian. It's a heart matter. It's a matter of the heart. So we forget our pedigree. We, we have no confidence in this flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh. When we put our hope and our confidence in ourselves, in our accomplishments, do you know what? We're going to become severely disappointed. So listen to what Psalm 118 says. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So the things that I thought they were once valuable of importance, or they are worthless compared to the, the knowledge of, no, to the intimate knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. You know, he goes on in later in that, in that verse, he says that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may know him intimately, become intimately acquainted with the ways of God, with him, with him personally, not just his ways, but him, become intimately acquainted. So we're going to forget our pedigree and we're going to forget our past. Forgetting our past. Can't go into the future looking backwards. We can't. We only have a small rear view mirror, but a big fat windscreen. We keep looking ahead. Stop looking into that rear view mirror. Remember Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. Jeremiah 29, remember the scripture we read in the beginning, the thoughts that God has towards us, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give us a future and a hope. 
homework, people, go home and read Jeremiah 29, the whole chapter. Go and read it. Because you know what? We take that little bit of scripture and we say, yes, that's awesome. But you know what? When you read it in context of what God is saying, God, through, through Jeremiah, Jeremiah is prophesying to the nation of Israel, which is, which is a nation that is in exile in Babylon. They are exiled into Babylonian exile. And for 70 years, they're there. And God says to them, through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, uh, build houses and live in them. Have children, give away your children. This is a long haul. This is 70 years. And he says, and when after 70 years, I will perform my will towards you, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans are my thoughts to you of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God knew that they were going to be in Babylonian exile for 70 years. And he said, build houses, live in them, plant your gardens, have kids, just get on with your life in the midst of it. I said, can I tell you something? That just because you're in the middle of God's will, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all a bed of roses. You can be in the center of God's will for your life in a war zone. The Israelites were in Babylon, in exile, for 70 years. For 70 years. And God gave, him, gave them that promise. He says, I've got a future and a hope for you. I've got a future and a hope. And he, and, he, and he fulfilled his promise. So if he did that to them, how much more to us? We have a better covenant. We have a better covenant. We are covenant people. So maybe today... You feel like maybe you're not in God's perfect will. Maybe you feel like you're in God's permissive will. It's what he's allowed. But you know what? If if that is the case, like we shared earlier, that some people are there as a result of their own sin, maybe you've missed it. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Hey, I'm looking at myself here. I'm preaching to myself. Maybe I've made mistakes. Maybe I've missed it from time to time. But do you know what God's word says? 1 John 1 9. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God isn't looking for perfection. We can't be perfect. We can't, we have no confidence in the flesh. We cannot do, we can't do this life. 120 percent he doesn't expect it of us i'm not making excuses for us but you know what if you have made a mistake and we all make mistakes just confess it and god will point you in the right direction maybe you're in the position that you're in through somebody else's actions maybe you've been abused maybe you've experienced some some horrible something horrible in your past and you're carrying about some guilt or some shame and it's impacted your entire life. Maybe that is you. What my, my, my encouragement to you today is if you are in the place that you're in as a result of what someone else has done to you, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. 70 times seven. And it doesn't mean you just go around, okay, that's number 227 time. No, every time that thought comes, every time it comes back, forgive, forgive, 
Lord, I forgive them. Lord, I release them. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them. Pray that God would bless your enemies. I tell you, it's powerful stuff. Sometimes it's not so much the hurt that someone's caused us. It's our refusal to forgive that, holds, that can hold us back. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a race that is set before you. God has a race set before you. Let us run with endurance. But in order to do that, we've got to lay aside every weight. We've got to lay aside every, every, every snare of the enemy, everything, every hurt, every pain that, we've been, that we have experienced. We need to lay it aside. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is our example. He endured the cross. He goes on, he says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Listen to what the, the Passion translation says. We must let go of every wound that has pierced us. Let us let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into, then, then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination, for the path has already been marked out before us. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a plan. God has a will for your life, but we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's choose today. You know what? Whether it's your sin, whether it's somebody else's sin, whether it's the circumstances in your life that have gone, got you off stray, got you off, off course, let's choose today. Let's forgive. Let's repent. Let's ask God to forgive us. That's all it, that's all it takes. But, and, but let's walk in forgiveness. Let's walk in love towards those that have hurt us, that has wounded us. Because I tell you what, what the enemy intended for evil in your life, God will turn for good. God will turn for good. Your life is not over. This is not your lot in life. Your life is not over. Amen and amen. So let's just pray. Let's just end there. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word today. I thank you, Father God, for each and every person within the sound of my voice today, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that, that each one of us in the week ahead, we will have that desire, we will have that passion, that purpose to know your will for our lives, Lord God. Lord, it is our heartfelt desire to walk in your ways and to know your will. So, Father, I just pray, Father, for each and every person here today that you would speak into their lives, that you would restore the years that the locust has stolen. Where that has happened, Lord God, you are the restorer, you are the redeemer. And so, Father, I just pray your peace, your comfort, your blessing in greater measure in all our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen.
in thy name.